0: hi everybody welcome back to between the vines i'm jennifer phillips russo cornell viticulture extension specialist and this is a program that's provided to you by both penn state and cornell university for the lake erie regional great program welcome back today again we have our special guest dr terry bates who's talking to us about the top 10 research and study that he has done in the concord industry and, of, in and nutrition in nutrition
1: top, top 10 in nutrition
0: in nutrition and nutrition throughout our region. Thank you for that. So yeah. welcome back, Dr. Terry Bates. And we're going uh, be-
1: Good morning. <laughs> Happy to be here again.
0: <laughs> Yay, we have seven more after this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so we're talking this one will be.
1: We're gonna make this one short, I promise.
0: <laughs> so yeah, infamous words. And then we go on and on and on. All right, so today we're talking about the West tier, which happened at the old lab, correct?
1: Yes, at the Fredonia Lab. It was planted in, I'm going to share my screen. It was planted in the late 1950s. I want to say 1956, but I'm not. So I think I know who
0: started this, but I see the face there. Do you want to just... Yeah, yeah.
1: So, okay. So this is um, one of the famous nelson Shawless multi-factorial experiments. Um, So this is probably the most famous or the most talked about is the west tier factorial although nelson had other factorial experiments uh which are just as cool So, <laughs> okay, before we go any further i want to yeah.
0: ask if you would briefly describe what a factorial experiment is yeah. for our
1: listeners so so a lot of times you think of doing research as in like Like i've done work on soil ph what is the response of concord vines to soil ph and what we're really looking for there is like a response curve so we'll pick several soil ph levels and then grow the vines in those different soil ph levels and we kind of you know most things in biology aren't linear the whole way it's like they'll be linear for a while and then they plateau so it's kind of a curve and we kind of look for what's the response curve where does the inflection point happen so we know okay adjust your soil pH up to this level, but adjusting it anymore really doesn't help um, and affect what Nelson did with his factorial experiments is it wasn't it's usually I, want, I, I call it binary right it's an on off. Um, but you have multiple on-offs, <laughs> uh, so multiple factors, maybe not at a, at a lot of levels. It's just, you know, two pruning levels or two floor management. and But when you put them all in combination, you end up with these multiple factors. So in the case of the West Tier Factorial, if you look at all the treatments in all their combinations, there was 96 different treatment combinations.
0: Holy cow
1: in that trial and and one of the i always say one of the things that like got criticized was that it wasn't replicated so he had them in six vine plots but those six vine plots weren't then replicated again um because we always talk about when we want to publish papers you want to you know how many times did you replicate that experiment and It's like if he had taken the ninety six treatment combinations and then replicated them four times, it would have taken up the entire farm. (laughs) Um, So really, the power in this is to look at the interactions between the factors and. uh, So let's just talk about the West here and then it'll 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 make sense, (laughs) I hope. Okay. So in the West here, I break it out in saying that there were three below ground treatments and three above ground treatments, Um, and then they were all you know put in combination so nitrogen there was zero 50 and 100 pounds of actual nitrogen applied every year. Floor management was either cultivation or sod in the row centers Uh, and you can kind of see that in a in this one part of the block, right? You can see where, where those vines were cultivated, because you see brown <laughs> between That's the vines right. versus having sod in the row Centers. Uh,
0: you can uh, see it online on YouTube if you want to watch this. And so, you oh, yeah, sorry, know. Oh, yeah. Sorry,
1: I forget that. Not everyone's <laughs> seeing the visual. Uh, rootstock was own rooted Concord vines, which is our industry standard, versus 3309C rootstock, which is a common rootstock used in the East. Uh, at the time, th- this again, we're going back to the, the 1950s. Nelson was working with um, a UC, I think it was a UC Davis professor, Lloyd Leiter. Lloyd
0: <laughs> <Long> Lighter, <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, who was a rootstock guy. And so they used different, they were looking at like 3309 and 3306 and some other rootstocks. And they started using 3309. So those are the three below ground treatments, nitrogen level, floor management, and rootstock. And so you'd have a combination, like you'd have zero pounds of nitrogen um, under cultivation with own rooted vines, and you'd have zero nitrogen under cultivation with 3309 vines. You know, So like there was a complete combination of those treatments on right. a particular set of vines. Now for the above ground treatments, You had pruning severity, so 30 plus 10 or 60 plus 10 balance pruning. Uh, Training was either single curtain or double curtain. So this is a pretty illustrative photo is in that. Here are the single curtain vines, obviously, and here are the double curtain vines to the left. I know not everyone can see this. So the... There are the same number of vines on the right side of the picture in single curtain as there is in the left side of the picture in double curtain. It's just that in double curtain, you've divided the canopy over two trellis wires, and and this is a great illustration to show how the double curtain intercepts more sunlight per unit land area, which can lead to higher productivity of the vines. If you have if you can support that with a vine size right you have to you have to grow enough canopy to be able to fill two trellis wires
0: <laughs> right that is a great visual
1: um and then shoe positioning uh so there was either shoe positioned or not shoe positioned vines, and th- the idea was. You're trying to improve the fruitfulness of the buds that you are going to retain during pruning so you do that by downward shoot positioning and concord so you have this drooping growth habit. And your shoot positioning to eliminate shading within internal canopy shading and so you improve the fruitfulness of the buds of the base buds that you're going to leave during pruning and the original um, Geneva double curtain work that was done. It's like Nelson would not call it Geneva double curtain unless there was shoe positioning wow. employed. You needed to maintain those two different curtains of foliage to have it actually be GDC, called GDC. Wow. So, okay, that's a story for another time. <laughs> All <laughs> the above ground stuff. So pruning severity and training and shoe positioning is doesn't have anything to do with nutrition. But nitrogen level floor management and rootstock does have something to do with um, nutrition and vine size development. So the to me, the West Tier is all about vine size and vine size management. Um, so my buddy Keith Striegler, who now works for Gallo, he always wants me to publish the West Tier information. So there was a there was an article published by Nelson back in oh god 1960 something <laughs> and I can we can we can post a link to that article that does talk about the west tier and the results of the west tier from like its original planting and then when Nelson retired Bob Poole took over the west tier factorial kept those treatments going and then when I started working at Fredonia, I took over the west tier and kept the treatments going for a while. So we have like this long-term data set on these treatments. And so that could all be put together. (laughs) There's bits and pieces of it that have been published places, but like that long-term data set could be, could be published.
0: So this entire factorial was kept over 40 years. Yes. Holy Christmas.
1: Yes. Uh, And the, to me that it's, (laughs) <laughs> it would be cool to publish the long-term data set, but to me the answer is the same. That especially when it comes to the below ground treatments, it's all about vine size. So Nelson had this you know, lesson that we learned from viticulture of that uh vine size is primarily influenced by water and nutrient availability and the ability of the plant to take up those water and nutrient that water and nutrients that's available in the soil. And that has a direct influence on vine size, and then vine size has an influence on productivity right. so uh productivity vine size and productivity is indirectly related to say pruning level or crop load management right you so i always say when someone says oh i'm having productivity problems with my vineyard the vine size is too small i'm not intercepting enough sunlight what should i prune to it's like i don't care what you prune to let's start working on what your water and nutrient problems are right. first fix those and then you'll when you You know, even when you're planting young vines, we say you got to grow a vine before you can grow a crop. Well, in a mature vineyard, that's the same thing. You have to grow the vine first. You have to grow enough foliage to intercept sunlight and turn that sunlight into energy. Um, So. So this whole West tier thing to me is about vine size management and the treatments. So like with floor management. If you have sod that competes out competes the grapevines for water, and so the vine size are small, so you do a little cultivation and the vine size gets a little bigger. and then you have zero pounds of nitrogen, 50 pounds of nitrogen or 100 pounds of nitrogen and you you know you you have no nitrogen and growing them in sod, they're very, very small vines. and then you do some cultivation and add some nitrogen and all of a sudden you have bigger vines and higher productivity um and and another you may like today you may think wow that's just not rocket science you know you give the vines a little water and you give them some nitrogen and they're bigger and they do better you got to remember when nelson started this trial when he started working like in the late 40s and the early 1950s like two tons per acre was kind of good in terms of yield so like yeah, he was walking into, into a situation where grapevines were grown like little bushes, and you're, and he was like, "Hey, you know, if we give them some water and we give them some fertilizer, they're going to grow bigger, and we can and then we can have bigger crops." And so the I think that foundational lesson to me is important in that it's really it's basic horticulture. Right. Water and nutrient availability and uptake leads uh, higher vine growth, more light interception and increased productivity. Um, and then, OK, so now we have this whole issue about rootstock. So we've, you know, uh, cultivation is better than sod in terms of water management. Um, a little bit of fertilizer is better than no fertilizer in terms of nutrient management. I have to say, if you go and <laughs> we say this. When he went from zero to 50 pounds of nitrogen, he saw a boost in vine size and yield when he went from 50 to 100 pounds of nitrogen he did not see any increase in vine size or yield so right so the. So you still ask the question well how much nitrogen do the vines need and it's like well it's it might be 50 but it's not 100 is it 80 is it 40 and so we're going to talk about other nitrogen work that we've done since then kind of looking at that response curve uh but in this case like there's there hasn't been any evidence that you need to apply 100 pounds of actual nitrogen or 150 pounds or 200 pounds of actual nitrogen (laughs) which i know some growers they used to do it i don't think i haven't heard too many people doing that recently
0: i haven't heard that either and i'm also Um, about the yeah
1: okay so so as far as rootstock, so we talked about the root excavation studies earlier, and we know that 3309 rootstock goes pretty much straight down, and owner rooted concord spreads, and that's why we were saying, like, stuff that happens in the in floor management, if you have competitive covers growing there, it influences the owner of vines more than the grafted vines. And in this case, with the west here, like, you could – if you had vines grafted onto 3309 and you could, you could have sod and in either zero nitrogen or 50 pounds of nitrogen and you had adequate vine size and yield. So it's like, uh, we could solve a lot of our nutrition problems by just putting them on a rootstock. There is the caveat with at least with 3309 rootstock that in wet years the vines can get too much water and it blows the berries up of a water and dilutes the bricks and since processors pay for grapes based on sugar concentration not sugar content um, 3309 can look bad in wet years but they look great in dry years when owner vines run out of water 3309 vines have adequate water and adequate sugar and adequate sugar concentration in the berries huh. does that make sense
0: it does make sense it, but it's also jumped many more many more questions in my head about viticultural research that should go on which you may <laughs> have already we'll hear about that later i consider you thinking is it that big of a difference in the dilution factor but i guess it is if it's the difference between you know a 15-5 and a 15 or a 15 and a
1: 14-5 yes it's more like, yeah, it's more like 14.5 versus 15.2 can make all the difference. Mm-hmm. And to me, the so when you calculate it on a sugar per berry basis, they. In a wet year, own-rooted and grafted vines, they produce the same amount of sugar, right? The the Both vines have plenty of water. Photosynthesis is going on. You produce the same amount of sugar. It's just that with 3309, the berries are bigger, and it dilutes the concentration of the sugar. So own-rooted vines have, you know, say, 15.5, and, and grafted vines have 14.5. And if the cutoff is 15, that makes all the difference on whether you can deliver your grapes or not even though there's the same amount of sugar like (laughs) in the berries.
0: I wonder if it's better to do half and half plantings.
1: Yeah. So in dry years, it's the owner divines run out of water, so they don't produce sugar. So they they still may have smaller berries, but uh, they just don't have enough sugar, so they don't whatever. They're not making the bricks by harvest where grafted vines are because they maintain they're well watered, they have lots of photosynthesis producing sugar, and that's being pumped into the berries, which aren't as big because it's a dry year and that makes them look good in dry years. Nelson used to say, and I think it might even be quoted right out of the paper that That grafted vines are superior in dry years or lower than average precipitation years, and they are inferior in wet to above average precipitation years. It just leads to the question of, is there a better rootstock out there that we can use, which we'll talk about later. (laughs) (laughs) So
0: the nitrogen thing is very interesting. I like that you said you didn't get any more of a boost after 50 pounds per nitrogen. Because I know that there were some people, like you had mentioned in the past, that we're putting on just blanketing, which led into some of your efficient vineyard work as well—100 pounds per yeah. acre across the board.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you got to think about our industry in general. Our industry, our own-rooted vines, and they—they they do manage the floor, you know, to try to eliminate competition for water during the times of the year that the vines need water. Um, and then f- it, as far as nitrogen goes, you know, it's to put on a hundred pounds of actual nitrogen. It had historically has been cheap insurance, right? The fertilizer has been low cost and it's like, oh, you know, 50 pounds is good. Let's I'm just going to overshoot it. I'm going to apply a hundred pounds of nitrogen per acre, and that's fine, but now the cost of fertilizer has been going up, the cost of fuel to drive through the vineyards going up, cost of labor is going everything's everything is going up, so now our margins are getting tighter and tighter, and you're like, oh, do I really need that? Right. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and then there's the environmental factor, you know, just be, yeah, just, you know, sure, we can dump on this fertilizer, and then when you find out that half of it ends up, you know, just leaching through the soil profile, it's not good either, so we're trying to be environmentally sustainable too by dialing back and and so we have recommends based on you know adding what how much nitrogen you add per percent organic matter in your soil and if you have to put on large doses of nitrogen you know do it in a split application so it's more efficient and less impactful on the environment and, and it's the
0: 25 percent efficiency uptake
1: yes yeah so so the West here to me it these factorial experiments were very important and there's a lot of great lessons learned and it's the foundation, you know, as I said, it's a binary thing. It's on or off, you know, did it work? Did it not work? Did this combination work or not work? And then we see that foundational like binary code. (laughs) And then we go from there and say, okay, we know that nitrogen has an effect. Okay. Let's do more experiments to look at proper nitrogen levels or floor management works, you know, you know, getting, the water competition away from the vines. That's a good thing. Okay, well, how can we do it better? How can we do, you know, different floor management treatments or different floor management strategies uh, to get the vines the water they need when they need it? What rootstock do we use? And does the rootstock change with soil type? And we've done all those, you know, things since then. Um, but it was this foundational kind of research, these multifactorial experiments that taught us how to grow grapes and how to. they they pointed us in the right direction for, okay, where do we wanna explore further um, in terms of dialing in our management practices?
0: That is an amazing study and I can't believe that it was continued continued for decades. What a great data set. And like you said, I look forward to hearing what stemmed off of this research. And I know that we talk about it a lot when our recommendations that we give, but hearing how it progressed has been very helpful. So thank you for- sharing all of that what's next
1: uh what is next let's see what's my next slide (laughs) oh uh nitrogen fertilizer efficiency so we'll talk about that next time perfect so
0: terry and i are both traveling next week so you may have to wait a little bit longer for the next one but just keep you the anticipation of coming back and checking in so (laughs) is there anything you wanted to add before we go on
1: Bloom prediction the locust that so today is May 30th, and the locust in Westfield in my backyard was blooming. That puts us like 10 days from Concord bloom on primary shoots that were not frosted. (laughs) (laughs) There's some frost damage out there. So, uh, on May 1st, we had looked at the Lake Erie growing degree day accumulation, and we predicted Concord bloom was going to be around June 8 or 9, and now locusts is blooming. That still puts us Concord bloom around June 8 or 9. So, if you're trying to kind of schedule your season around that, which thank you,
0: thank you for bringing that up because you should be. Keeping track of that, not only in your viticulture extension planning calendar that the Lake Erie Regional Grape Program gives out to all of your members that's for your own data management, but you should be putting that into NUA for all of your models, your grape berry moth model, the tighter you have it on your own farm, the better the prediction for you, so. Thank you for joining
1: us. Yeah, you can use your MyEV and MyEV data collector to go out and assess where you have frost damage. And then that would lead into where you would do crop estimation <laughs> samples at 30 days after bloom. So there's lots of stuff you could be doing right now.
0: Lots of stuff. And you should get out there and do it. And if you do have questions about the MyEV platform that Terry was just mentioning, you can go to the VIT blog on the My Efficient Vineyard website. You can contact myself via email, and we can set up an appointment to go over that and set your farm up if interested. And then Terry and I will probably be- probably be scheduling another workshop. It's definitely during the winter grower conference next March, but for this season, hopefully we can get another one in. I'm not sure when, but I would love to do it before crop estimation. <laughs> He's, if you could see his face laughing at me because our tight schedule thus far. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Everything's tight. Everyone's busy this time of year. It's great. It's really.
0: Well I hope all is well with you and your operations please if you have any questions leave comments below on YouTube or reach out via email and thank you Dr. Trifaty for joining us again and we'll see you soon okay have a great Thanks, week Jen. everyone